0: Hello, I'm Ben Thompson, owner of Thompson & Terry Recruitment. I'm Mike Foster, the entrepreneur's mentor. And you are listening to an edited version of Get Radio's Business Brunch with Ben and Mike, uh, which airs every Sunday at 11am on DAB Digital Radio across Oxfordshire and online at
1: getradio.co.uk. And our show introduces you to local trusted experts, whilst we also talk about topics that you, the listeners, tell us is impacting on local businesses and their owners. For copyright
0: reasons, we cannot play the songs mentioned in the show. Uh, But for more info and business brunch related content, please do head over to getradio.co.uk. I definitely recommend it.
1: Get Radio's Business Brunch with Ben and Mike. Sponsored by We Do HR Support. Leave your HR to the experts
0: so you can focus on what you do best. Good morning, this is Get Radio and welcome to the
1: Business Brunch with Ben and Mike. My name is Ben Thompson,
0: owner of Thompson & Terry Recruitment. And I'm Mike Foster, the
1: entrepreneur's mentor. Now fingers crossed that after nearly three years you know that our show introduces you to local trusted experts whilst we also discuss topical issues that are impacting on local businesses that you the listeners tell us that you want to hear about and certainly today is another great example of the show format that is based on exactly that feedback or request that you've given us and today actually is in fact my last show as a co-host with Ben so it's a little bit of emotional but I'm really super happy to be sharing that with the opportunity to welcome my friends, trusted contacts, and the data rock stars, Kelly Peters and Regina Jonas. Now, Ben, my usual question for you, and I guess the last question that I'll be posing to you is: data protection has really become more of a serious consideration in recent years. So what should businesses really be considering right
0: now as always mike for as you rightly said for three wonderful years and um, always a great question um and a question that we can only put to the two experts the data rock stars um o- over the next hour this is the business branch with mike we'll be welcoming our two experts after this Get ready. Welcome back to the business branch with Ben and Mike on Get Radio. and today we are talking all things data protection. And to do that, we are joined by the Data Rock Stars. So let's start by introducing them. And um, let's start with Regina. Um, please tell the listeners all about you.
2: Hi, my name is Regina Jonas, and I'm delighted to, to join you today. Um, I've got a Fifteen year, twenty year experience in handling data through the private sector, through the public sector, and really helping to explain to people why it's important and help get them engaged in getting excited about data um, and making sure that it's understandable to them.
0: Amazing! And second, certainly not secondly, not second in the place. Let's go to Kelly, diplomatically put on my part there.
3: Well, I'm I'm glad I'm not second place, but, you know, equal stature with <laughs> Regina. Um, so, yes, I, I am uh, Kelly Peters. I've been working in the world of data, I would say, since I started my university uh, career in the ni- uh, mid-1990s. Um, and I roped Regina in to the joy of data protection. And I told her that no day would ever be the same uh, in data or data protection. I think I've lived up to that expectation Um, and regina routinely has to try and calm me down when i talk about data protection and data as a whole so i'm a self-proclaimed data nerd alongside being a data rock star
0: amazing amazing and look forward to hearing lots lots more about all of the world of data
3: um but before
0: that kelly um one of the two most difficult questions this morning for yourself and regina is your song choices and you've got the short straw so what is your song choice and why have you picked it
3: Ah, so my song choice is uh, Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody. Um, and I am ma- whilst I was born in the 70s, I'm a massive 80s fan. And this was a top tune for me at the school disco. So that's my song choice for today.
0: Interviewing Oxfordshire's business leaders. This is The Business Brunch. Sponsored by We Do HR Support. Leave your HR to the experts so you can focus on what you do best.
1: Welcome back to the business brunch with Ben and Mike here on Get Radio. Before that song, chosen by Kelly, uh, Whitney Houston classic. And I have to admit, I'm a little bit into Whitney Houston right now. So um, I was loving that one. Um, We were hearing an introduction from our data rock stars, Kelly Peters and Regina Jonas. So we're going to go into our sort of like roundtable conversation today about all things data and explore this amazing. Amazing expertise and experience that our guests have with us today. So, Regina, let's kick off with yourself first of all. And my, my first question for today is, what's actually happening in the world of data protection right now that our listeners need to be aware of?
2: really interesting um, at the moment, the increase that we're currently seeing in data subject access requests. And I think that's partly because since GDPR was introduced back in 2018, there's been a, a rise in awareness of the fact that people have data protection rights and that they can um, access information that companies hold on them. And what we've been seeing is that more and more people are looking to exercise those rights, particularly when they've got a bit of an axe to grind with a company. So if they're a disgruntled employee or going through a process, um, or indeed if they're disgruntled clients, then... They want to find out and have that little bit more insight into the types of information that's being held on them and often are looking for some kind of, if you want to call it like a smoking gun, something that's been said that shouldn't have been said that they might be able to hook onto that supports any kind of issue that they may have. And it's certainly something that we're seeing more and more companies have to face and get to grips with and then really be faced with and sort of have that realisation about the just about the volume of information that they hold on any one individual. And particularly where it's been an employee that's been with them, even for a short volume of time, the amount of data that's been created in that limited period is is significant and takes a huge amount of time to sift through and make sure that all that you're giving back is is the information that the, the individual who's requested it is entitled to. And the amount of time and effort that that takes companies um, is, is, is really Taken a bit of a toll on them, to say the least.
0: Amazing, amazing. um And, and Kelly, a, a, a question for, for you is: in terms of what does good look like? Um, so when when you're looking at the umbrella of data protection, this could be split up, couldn't it? In terms of what do you need from your data protection provider or your data protection officer or data protection in the same? Right. So I'm going to start with data protection itself. What does good look like when when thinking about your organization's data protection?
3: That's uh, an awesome question, there, Ben. Um, I think for me, what does good look like? Firstly, I would always want you to educate your staff. Your staff need to understand what they're handling, You know what they're asking of their customers, your suppliers, why they're using it, what system it's being stored in. And that can come through training. It can come through a policy that they may or may not read in induction. It's about ensuring your staff are comfortable with raising their hand if they think something looks a little off. So they might be getting a dodgy email with a link that's saying, you know, urgently click this, or they're being told to spend £500 on vouchers to give to a senior manager. It's about them thinking, oh, hold up, that's not right, and knowing how to escalate those types of challenges. So I think at a basic level, it's an education piece. I think from an accountability perspective, it's making sure that from the very top, they are aware of what are the the repercussions of getting this wrong? You know, not so much the fines, but the reputational damage that customers may think, oh, you're not a safe pair of hands for you to store my data. And in the world of social media we live in today, it's not hard for someone to tweet something or whatever the platform's now called or share something on LinkedIn to say, oh, they're, they're not great. And, and that's instantaneous out there. It's hard to get back. So accountability in terms of making sure that you know what your responsibilities are at the board level and that if you do have a data protection officer, you give them the ability to be able to function Agnostically, but also be able to do their role without any fear of the finger being pointed at them if it goes um, wrong. So, top down accountability, but also making sure that from the bottom up, everybody is at least familiar with the cut term data protection. And I'll give you an example if that's okay. I was at my opticians on Saturday. And he asked me, you know, whilst he was inspecting my very poor eyesight, you know, what do you do, Kelly? I was like, I'm a data protection consultant. He was like, oh, oh no. I was like, yes, that's me. I am that person that comes in and tries to get you excited about data protection. And then he went into all the ins and outs of how spec savers do their training. But that's what impressed me. That one, he recognized what I do. And two, he could describe to me the training that they did, even if there was, uh, you know, a loud groan as to why he thought that was possibly unnecessary, but at least he's trained.
1: Fantastic. And I think, you know, i probably pick up and build on both of uh, your responses to the first two questions about, you know, obviously the accountability. Because I think one of the things for me, Regina, be interested in your comment is that you're right, GDPR came in and there was this explosion of awareness around data, and then it sort of seemed to sort of, dampened down a little bit didn't it and it's is it just the serious businesses i call serious businesses that are taking data seriously you know because is there really this seriousness in terms of i need to protect my data until something actually happens whether it's a breach or a subject access request etc
2: i think to be honest there's a real mix of businesses out there and there i think are those that will always recognize that they have to comply Those in the regulated industries, you know, they were very much aware of data protection pre-GDPR because there was stuff pre-GDPR in the the 90s and 2000s. Um, And they recognize what they have and how they have to keep it. And I think what we'll also see is typically that any businesses, organizations, charities that engage with data that is more sensitive or relates to more vulnerable individuals or children or healthcare they will also typically recognize the risk of the data they're holding and want to make sure that they've got it right and they recognize their own responsibilities to that and the risks that they're managing on a day-to-day basis. I think if we then look at sort of some of the the ones who are maybe more likely to, I guess, if you like, weigh up the risk, and it depends on their own personal risk profile as to where they fall, um, as to as to how much they look at it and how much time they invest in it, it's very much dependent on um. On, on that level of risk that they see to their business and whether or not they feel, not that they can get away with it, but the, how much does it really impact them? And I think sometimes there are people out there who are more willing to say, do you know what, I don't think it's going to happen to me. And I think I remember some, you know, if you go down the sort of the training that you, you kind of have to do, I remember some mandatory training we did in the NHS and it was talking about fire safety and the fact that if you see like, a, if you hear the fire alarm go off, you don't necessarily... Take action straight away. You kind of sit there and go, okay, is it is it an alarm? Is it a test? And you sit there and you wait for the 30 seconds and then you think, oh, it's been going on a bit of a while. Should I, should I start gathering my stuff and 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 get out? And then you hope it stops, but it doesn't, it keeps going. So you start putting all your stuff together and you're going quite slowly. And you're not actually seeing the personal risk to yourself there because it's just a noise. Whereas if you're in a room with a fire, and you see how quickly it's spreading, you are then either going to try and tackle it if you can, or you're going to get out and hit the, the alarm. And I think sometimes there are businesses out there who, who don't see the risk of, we just have client data, we just have staff data, um, and they think that that exempts them almost, but it's all comes under that remit of, of data that you need to protect and look after. And The risk of potentially something going wrong internally of, you know, we've seen the Big Morrison's case, it was an internal person that shared staff salary details on the internet intentionally. And if you as a business can't demonstrate that you've tried to engage your staff, mitigate some of those risks, you have to really think about the potential impact on individuals. Even if in your mind you think it's just staff data, it's just client data, it's really well what is that potential impact that you could have on those individuals? And more often than not, it's not insignificant.
0: Re- really good advice as always. And and I do want to build on that point, actually. Um, But before we do that, um, you have not got off the hook. So like with Kelly, um, <laughs> you have chosen a song for our listeners today. So what is your song choice and why have you picked it?
2: So I have chosen Shotgun by George Ezra, and that is because it's a great summer tune. And up until this summer, I would always think about it with the top down in my little MX-5 driving around. But sadly, I've had to trade her in this summer. And so it will just be a distant memory whenever I play that song and sing along to it in the car. So um, if you can give me that chance now, then that would be great. Oxfordshire
1: Station, get ready.
0: Welcome back to the business branch with Ben and Mike on Get Radio and um, the Data rock stars are definitely living up to their names with um with great song choices today. Um i think one of the things that mike and i see a lot with 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 hosting this show is that when when setting up a business a lot of us um are experts within our field um but actually um a lot of us aren't you know we we wear a lot of hats as as small business owners so so i think you've touched on that um quite uh, quite a lot regina right? and maybe i'll come across to, to you kelly or, or maybe stay with you regina whichever you prefer um just around um uh, what 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 are the first things you should do as a small business? So if somebody's listening right now and they believe they do nothing for data protection, we don't have anything in place, we've never looked at data protection, we thought it didn't affect us. Um, the first thing is that they're wrong. But what is that first process? What What do they need to do under the data protection umbrella as the first step?
3: My recommendation would be go to the Information Commissioner's website and we can share a link after this. And do the self-assessment. There is a very simple self-assessment that will tell you whether or not the, the regulation applies to you and the fee that you need to pay. Nine times out of ten, you will have to apply to it. So that would be my, my very first step. Go check with a the regulator. They will tell you whether or not don't don't listen to me and Regina saying you yes, you do. Check that. And then at the at the very basic, come up with a simple policy for your staff about what to handle, how to handle it, and train your staff. I think they would be the two absolute key things to do. And they're not expensive.
2: I think for me, the the step to just slot in before those two uh, would be to map your data. And if, again, if you go to the ICO, there's a, a spreadsheet that allows you to template, that allows you to look and document in each of your areas of your business And think about what is it you process in each of those different areas. And if you can think about what the personal data is that you are responsible for, that will help you more easily write those policies that Kelly has just talked about and train your staff on them, because you will have a clear picture of what you're responsible for. And that has to be, for me, the first step is understand what it is you have in your business and so many People don't.
1: Well, and from somebody who's been through the process with you of uh, the start of a journey, I would certainly certainly echo those steps because, you know, I I prom- primarily the two organisations I was working for were a firm of accountants that I engaged for because obviously we had sensitive data and I think it was really interesting in both organisations when we did that data mapping exercise to the number of organizations we'd shared our data with you know with the, the online stuff the digital software etc i think oh my word and then when you got me to delve a little bit deeper into well where actually is that being shared is it being shared in the us uk overseas etc cetera, etc cetera? and i go uh, don't know but let me look into that and you go, oh my god it's all over the world so <laughs> it's and then like you say how that then impacts how you write your policies and your considerations certainly for sure Now, one of the things that I'm sat here as a business owner potentially thinking of for me and behalf of my customers is based on the fact that subject access requests are on the rise, um, based on the fact that we could have a data breach and that could be a reputational risk, then perhaps I don't need to record anything on my database anymore um, because then I can't get a breach and I can't then get a subject access request where I've got to share it. So... One of your expertise, as I know, is helping people choose the right system, database, etc., for that sort of thing. So, take us through those sort of considerations we'd make as a business to say, okay, well, we've got to be realistic. We've got to hold data. What's the best way of holding that data?
3: That's that is a good question, and I think it. Let's be realistic. As as a business today, we are we are collecting some kind of information, even if it's just for invoicing purposes and to create a mailing list. For example, you're going to have some very basic data. So whenever we start out with a, a project where people are like, oh, I I need a system, which is nice and vague, it's, well, what is it you're wanting to achieve? What's the end goal? Is it that you want to be able to seamlessly um, send out invoices, you know, automatically, it or, or that it pulls information for a system? Or is it that you want to... Um, connect your website with your customer relationship database, and that is done behind the scenes. And, you know, what is it that you want to achieve? Is it efficiencies? Is it increasing your um, your awareness to the market of uh, your customer base, your future customer base? So if, like, if we know what your goals are, we can then take steps back and say, okay, well, what information do you need to collect for that so is it just simply a name and an email address and then once we have kind of built that what I would call a a specification we have an idea of what the data is we have an idea of okay it's a marketing tool that you're looking for and the questions we will ask invariably is how much money do you have to to spend Um, and some of our um, clients that we've done this for have very little budget so they're looking for something that is off the shelf and relatively cheap versus uh, some clients who have very specific they work in a niche area and they want something that is more tailored to their needs so if we know what you're looking for then what we can do is say here are five products within your budget range that are off the shelf that are quite easy to implement here's how you could use those. The choice is yours. However, if you want to go down the more expensive, and it is a more expensive route, design system for you, these are the kind of developers that are in your local area that might be able to hit. This is the level of investment that you're looking for. And when we've done this for some charities, we've then helped them build a business case because they've had to seek the funding to, to kind of be able to implement that. But it it always starts off with in that type of, Um, scenario where you're looking for a system what is it you're looking for as an outcome and then or as a system and then we work all the way back to the very beginning of well let's talk about what you need to collect and through all of that it's people engagement because if if you if the people that are going to collect it know what they're collecting and what system they're going to use you've got a better chance of rolling that out successfully and people using it because both Regina and I have worked in situations where systems have been forced upon us and you two might have had similar situations and people will then be like, they'll run a report. This doesn't look right. It's not telling me anything. It's not telling me the sources of our referrals or it's not telling us how much uh, money uh, we spent in a particular area. And that's because you've never educated your staff that there was a field in the system <laughs> that allowed you to capture that. So that, that's for me, the, the it sounds quite simple. It's not, it, it, it is quite a, a lengthy process, but what is it you're looking for? And then we can always help you find that system.
2: I think as well to build on that, it's about keeping focus on those goals. We've often said, you know, what is it you want to get out of the system? What are the answers you're trying to look for? As Kelly said, because All too often, people have quite a clear idea maybe when they start, if they've looked at engaging with their teams and understanding what is the data that we need. But then software suppliers kind of come in with the the bells and whistles, the nice to haves, and they can get distracted by that and move away from those fundamentals of actually what do we really need to do with this? And let's start with that element and then build on it. Um, But often those sort of bells and whistles and the nice shiny toys will sort of distract from those fundamentals. And I think when you've sort of mapped it out, talked about what are the flows of data that you actually need, if you have those documented and you focus on those, it gives you a much clearer way of saying, no, this is a system that meets our needs. And then the nice to haves can come later.
3: Amazing,
0: no, really good advice. Um, by saying the bells and whistles and the new shiny toys, I feel like now is probably the only time to talk about AI, isn't it? We 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 must. Um, so AI is the new shiny toy, um, and businesses are, are using it um, constantly. Um, so so what what should business owners um, or businesses be aware of um, when implementing AI with with your data protection hat on? What what are the, what's the risk there?
3: So I would start off with first establishing if you are using it. So I, I've done a, um, a webinar uh, very recently and I asked a question to everybody that attended. It's like, how many of you are using AI in your business? And the resounding answer was, we don't. So then I asked them, I was like, well, do you have any kind of uh, tools that help you um, improve how you're presenting your information? So like an autocorrect or helping you with your, your grammar, for example, or do you have any kind of chat functionality on your website, for example? Um, And What about, you know, driving to work? Do you use any of those kind of really funky kind of maps that Google provides you? Um, And then when I was like, Oh, yeah, we do. I was like, that's all using um, AI. So we are using it. So firstly, I would say, look at the systems you have in your organization, and ask the question, if any of those are using um, AI, I guarantee they are, you know, so you will have it. Uh, But then if you are looking to then connect your devices, which is a common thing now, we're trying to be more efficient, we're trying to have interlink all of these great tools is, what's the impact on the individual? You know, so you want to introduce facial recognition, for example, or you want to, I don't know, you want to create some new tool that transcribes every meeting that you have, you know, Zoom and all the kind of meeting tools have it. but what's the impact on the individual do they know that you're going to use that how are you going to make sure that you restrict who sees that between the different connected um systems and if you're if you're designing it one kudos if you're designing anything to ai because that's way beyond my skill set even though it excites me um think about Data protection first. Historically, and, and this is the true of the, the time I've been working in in data, is we think about data protection and, and governance as an afterthought and not at the beginning. If we think about it at the beginning, we will identify real risks. So, I'll give, I'll use recruitment as an example, um, Ben. So if as part of the recruitment process, you've got your system, your uh, HR system has a um, applicant tracking system, for example. So you upload your CV, I'm uploading it and Mike's applying for the same job. Um, but the AI that's built into it inaccurately suggests that Mike is a better candidate because he is now. Um, and he has the kind of the right criteria based on his profile. And it disproportionately disadvantages me because he says, oh, you're female. No, the, the algorithm has been built wrong and you've built in a bias to it. So I'm then economically impacted by that because I don't have a chance of uh, putting forward for the job and getting the job. And then I it could cause me emotional distress because I've been discriminated mm-hmm. against. And that's all because we've introduced a system that is used... AI to make that decision. So we need to strip that back to the very beginning to say, how do we prevent that? How do we present that level of bias so that both me and Mike can go for a job that you're recruiting for, Ben, for a client. And we're both going in because regardless of our gender, regardless of our age, we are good candidates for that job. And that's what we need to be mindful of um, in AI, because if we don't govern it appropriately, there is the real risk of harm to to individuals emotionally, mm. financially, and potentially physically um, as well.
1: Regina, before we move on, have you got anything to
2: add? Yeah, I think building on that is also then potentially the, the people at most risk from those type of inherent biases are probably people who are already disadvantaged, and so that then perpetuates the gaps that are already in place within society, which um, is is obviously not right. I think the other thing to think, you know, it couldn't talk about AI without talking about chat GPT and other sim- similar large language learning models. Um, the thing around that, that I just urge caution is to be really sure that you understand what you're sharing when you're sharing it. So. If you look into it, you know, a lot of these will be using those kind of queries, the information, the prompts to further train those models. So if you are starting to feed that with the likes of personal information, health information, if it's your own, be aware of that. If it's other people's, don't, you know, certainly not without any level of consent, because... Once it's in there, you lose that control of it, and then you don't know how it's going to be represented at a later date or who that might be disclosed to. So I'd really urge you to investigate. And I saw an interesting statistic, if I can remember it, off the top of my head um, the other week that's indicated it was from the Cyber, National Cyber Security Centre, and they'd done a, a survey which indicated, I'll keep it general, uh, that the the majority of businesses have used or tried um, chat GPT or similar AI functionality that have come to the market since. Um, But, a minority of them considered data protection or cybersecurity when they were using them. They hadn't even crossed their mind to think that they should be thinking about it. And I would say you absolutely should. There are ways that this technology can be used nefariously. There are obviously ways it can be used to great benefit. And that is important that those benefits are realized. But we have to make sure that we're considering the risks and that we're considering that people's data is kept safe. And if you're using it within your business, you have a responsibility because you are responsible for that data that you're sharing and inputting into those systems. So it's don't do anything without understanding it, without understanding the risks and accepting and mitigating those risks if you're happy with them.
1: Wow. Well, as I knew we would get on this show today, um, practical as always. You know, I think that's always been one of your usps as i call them um you, you are practical you know even i can understand data and uh, does even get me excited you'll be pleased to know kelly that it can get me excited on uh, data whereas sometimes when i've read you know little small print around data i've gone oh now you've lost me after like two lines so <laughs> you know, i knew we we're gonna get that from the show but thank you for your thoughts so far we will continue that conversation after this this is the business brunch podcast from get radio sponsored
0: by we do hr support Leave your HR to the experts so you can focus on what you do
1: best. Welcome back to the Business Brunch with Ben and Mike here on Get Radio. Um, We're joined by our friends, Regina and Kelly, the data rock stars, uh, talking about all things data today. And we've been talking about various different areas. And I really want to jump into the sort of like the real life harms of data protection breaches. You know, we talked about them. We sort of touched the surface when we were talking earlier about subject access requests. Um, I know from our conversation, and you touched on it earlier, that individuals are predominantly the main reason why we have breaches, not necessarily the systems or the security. But yeah, tell us a little bit more about the, the real-life harms of those breaches. You know, ex- expand on what we talked about earlier.
2: So some of the things that you might have seen in the news recently around breaches have, I think, been quite a good illustration of where there are potential harms. Um, one of the prominent stories within the last month or so has been around um, the – Police forces that have responded to freedom of information requests um, and have provided the original workings spreadsheets behind the actual um, answer spreadsheet that they were giving out to to the requesters. So, freedom of information requests are a bit similar to data subject access requests, except basically, as the public, we can hold government bodies to account and ask any questions about how they're spending money. It generally tends to be around aggregate figures or sort of numbers of police officers, that type of thing. And within those organisations, staff members will collate the data, pull it together, and then share it back. Now, what we've seen across a number of forces has been that they've shared um, either the hidden sheet, which has been easily unhidden, where all the workings and the details have come to light, um, and in these cases have actually disclosed police officers' names, addresses, details, and, you know, in the case of of the Northern Irish force, that has actually, you know, that puts people at real risk. You know, there's there's historic tensions there. The police, you know, typically people won't reveal who they work for. You know, there's, there's very real political tensions which can lead to real life harm for individuals working in that environment. And so to disclose that level of detail publicly around who they are, where they live, puts them and their families at very real risk from physical harm. Um, similarly, you know, if you've had seen uh, financial information being released as part of, again, subject access requests or disclosures accidentally that go to a company that it shouldn't have gone to, or as part of a cyber, uh, cyber security attack, you know, ransomware attack data has been siphoned off. If it includes anything around financial information accounts that can be linked to email addresses or names, The real risks individuals of financial harm through identity theft, impersonation, or even being targeted by the attackers who have that information to try and access things like passwords, login details. If you know that somebody banks with a particular bank and you've got the last four digits of their their, um, account number, you can very, very easily create that email that has the last four digits of the account number and makes it look really real, that makes it more easy for them to fall foul of phishing attempts and bypassing the kind of securities that your bank puts in place to try and protect you and so again you know companies that are, are lax with that type of data are potentially putting their customers and their clients at real risk or their staff of of identity theft financial harm loss that you know that's that's ultimately very distressing for those individuals and it's difficult to get back from you know once somebody's identity has been stolen it's 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 not easy to to claw that back and you know the impact in terms of credit ratings the financial obligations that potentially they may find themselves under that they've got no idea about so for anyone listening who gets a message from an organization where they they've inadvertently released that data. Um, if they offer you something like the Experian Identity Plus, something like that, take it up and monitor it because that will then be flagging any unusual activity or activity that you're not aware of on your account, you can then take the steps to protect yourself and to try, oh, excuse me, <laughs> and to try and claw that back and to make sure that you are as protected as possible. But I know sometimes it can feel like it's just account details or it's just an email um, or it's just an address and you could find that somewhere else, but it's the context of pulling that all together, being able to know certain bits of information that then with a bit more online research, you can build up a bigger profile of an individual or individuals that can result in some really specific harms for those people.
0: Really good advice. Really good advice. Um, Kelly, Something I'm really keen to kind of build on is, is planning for the future. Um, so so businesses now are making their financial plans and their budget plans for 2024. And and of course they should be planning their data protection for 2024. So so what are the things that businesses can do now to plan their data protection for 2024?
3: I would certainly um be encouraging you, if you haven't already, look to review. Your, your policies you know booking some time for a staff member to do it because that's a resource cost um even if you're not outsourcing that activity just to make sure that your your policies are correct look at the last time you trained your staff so yes you might tick the box that all people are trained on induction but when was the last time you did refresher training has it been in the last two years and if it has been you know I would be thinking maybe now's the time to do a bit of refresher training it doesn't have to be as long as induction but certainly um keep that up to date in the world that we're moving into in terms of AI I would encourage you to consider doing an audit really think about the systems that you're using what data you're collecting who you share it with like Mike said you'd be genuinely surprised. What's going on? So if you haven't audited your systems in the last couple of years, again, think about how you might do that internally or seek external um, expertise for me. So they're the things I would say plan for, for 2024.
2: I'd also think about if you can build on the training that you've got to try and make it more than just a one off annual exercise with induction or as refresher as Kelly's rightly pointed out is necessary but what can you build into existing frameworks and, and structures that are there so do you have a regular meeting that you could incorporate every other meeting a little chat about data protection what are the issues you know your staff really can be your best defence against you know those unseen threats that might be lingering away you know, if they see behaviour that's a bit off or they recognise that something isn't quite working right or in line with the policy, they'll see that every day. And if you've got an atmosphere and a culture whereby people can talk about data protection, raise the issues, suggest better ways of doing things, you've got an engaged workforce that are going to help you improve on an ongoing basis. And I think if you can build that into your plans for how could you make that change over the next 12 months from being maybe... Seeing and date protection is a bit of a tick box exercise to actually something that is living and breathing in your organization that people are engaged with and and, in, and interact with. They don't have to necessarily get excited by it. If they do, so much the better. But if it can be part of your, your day-to-day thinking, you know, for as many staff as possible, you will have a workforce that are more likely to spot something, stop something spreading and really help help you as an organisation with that genuine compliance rather than it being we've got a policy that people might or might not have read.
1: And, and I know as an organisation, you've been a fantastic consultancy agency for businesses, but you've also got your training arm and you've got huge stock of training that you do. Um, so really around sort of data protection and data breach, give give us a flavour of sort of the things that happen. I, you know, I, I sort of teased a little bit earlier in terms of most of the breaches are due to personal actions, whether that's, you know, deliberate or not so deliberate. Um, so if I'm a company here sat at the moment going, okay, well, do I need to review my policies? Do I need to do staff training? Do I just take this seriously or is it just a tick box scenario? Infuse me to think about, okay, well, these are the sort of things I need to take seriously, the, the, the human error sort of things that might go, actually, we need to do some training around that.
3: Oh, that's a, a good one. I think the most common type of data breach is where staff have shared information with the wrong company, for example. Um, So imagine you're an accounting firm and a member of your team sends payroll details to the wrong client. It's easily done. If you're using email as your method of of transfer, you've then potentially put all those individuals um, at risk. Um, So, you know, email. For me it is is a very big um, breach. Um, recently, there have been a number of um, social services departments that have been put under uh, review because they've shared information that involves really vulnerable um, individuals that have been subject to domestic violence. Um, and the perpetrator has actually been given the the information about the victim um, and all of their new addresses Um, So they've been put at real risk of physical harm. And that's because simply checking who is this, who does this have to be sent to um, before it is sent. So to me, those today we are really fast paced. We're juggling multiple tasks on any given day, which I'm sure anyone that's listening will resonate with that. We're trying to do a lot in a short amount of time it's at that point that you're at greatest risk of a silly mistake happening in that you respond too quickly to an email. You click a link you don't mean to. You download something that you think, oh, I shouldn't have done that afterwards. You send an email to the wrong person. You put everybody in the CC box rather than the blind copy box. And Another example is NHS Highlands sent an email out to I think it was about seventy people in the CC box rather than the blind copy, and and you might think oh it's just an email, but the content of that email was about HIV service and they were all people that are accessing that service. So you have disclosed information about a very sensitive subject to all those people because people are in a rush. So for anyone that's listening that think oh. Actually, the the risk of that simple email disclosure is real. Take a moment to think, what would be the impact if we were to do that? You know, could we lose customers? Is there a risk of reputational uh, damage? Could one of those report us to the information commissioner? Maybe.
0: Really good advice as always. Really good advice. Um, So we are coming very much towards the end of the show. We've got about a minute left, so 30 seconds each if I talk quickly. Um, One of the things that um, you've done throughout the whole show is share loads of tips. Um, So I'm going to ask for one more. Um, Each of you, what would be your top tip um, for those listening at home to end the show?
2: Check your cookies. So if you use the phrase on your website, by continuing to use the website, you accept these cookies. That is illegal and you need to check. The ICO are starting to, or have indicated that they're going to start looking at cookie compliance. You need to have accept all, reject all as equal options for people to take without any nudge in either direction. It's okay for people to reject cookies. Um, They track us, they build profiles on us. Um, I'd recommend rejecting them, but make sure that your website is legal, make sure that you have got those options for people and that cookies are not set on people's devices if they're not essential, unless somebody has said, yes, I'm okay with that, actively said yes. Use BCC
3: rather than CC in your emails. Well, that is the end of the show. So
0: thank you so much to our two guests on the Business Brunch with Ben and Mike on Get Radio today. If you are just tuning in, we've had Kelly Peters and Regina Jonas, the data rock stars, still the coolest job title in the world, um, who have been sharing such insight all around the world of data protection. So thank you so much, you both, for sharing such insight and expertise with the listeners. Um, on the note of thanks, thanks so much to my co-host, Mike Foster, the Entrepreneur's Mentor, for co-hosting the show with me over the last almost 3 years sharing the stories of so many businesses across Oxfordshire with you the listener um so thank you so much for that mike i will be back next week with brand new guests sharing their skills knowledge and experience with you the listener Just a reminder, this is available every Sunday um, on online and on radio at 11 a.m. There is a podcast version available via all your favorite podcast platforms, which is released on the Monday morning. And look out for the video format posted on Get Radio Facebook page and the website every Tuesday. Now enjoy the rest of your Sunday and I will see you next week. Thanks so much.